This is the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, episode 180. Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Weekly motivation and language learning tips to help you become fluent in any language. Now, here's your host, Ollie Richards. Good morning, everybody. You're in for a real treat today. We've got a fantastic in-depth discussion all about the link between music and language learning. It's a two-part episode. It's kind of long, so I'm not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into it. Before we do, though, I'd like to thank the fantastic sponsors of the show, the one language company I could not live without. It's italki, and it's the place where I get all of my lessons, my language lessons, all my speaking practice, everything. It's amazing. And you can get a free lesson by going to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash free lesson. Now let's dive into today's conversation. I'm talking with Fiel Sahir from New York. He is a, an accomplished musician. He's actually finishing off his music degree right now. And we talk about the much lauded link between music and language learning. Does having a musical background make you a better language learner? Is there any connection at all? It's super interesting, and I began the conversation by asking Fiel to talk a little bit about his background. Uh, my dad is was a guitarist at some point in his life, and um, so that was always around the house. And being a child of immigrants, uh, money to pay for music lessons is not exactly uh, um, a priority. So my mom said, let's just take lessons with dad, and uh, which wasn't easy, but it was a good thing in the end. And um, so that's how I got started with classical guitar. And somehow, is that your main I, instrument, anyway. classical guitar? Yeah, classical guitar. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so that's where I'm at now. Uh, I just I finished my undergrad at uh, the New England Conservatory in Boston, and now I'm in Germany, uh, studying over there. Um, but going on with languages, they sort of tie in together because I, I have this love for people and different cultures just so much, and uh, music and language are both part of the whole culture bubble. Um, so to speak. And so when I was 13, sorry, when I was 10, I was on a car ride coming home from vacation uh, with family and family friends. And uh, we're Indonesian and being an Asian American in, in the States is not very easy. You know, you get made fun of. And so uh, I didn't want to be Asian per se. Um, is that just New York or is it everywhere? Well, I would say a lot of the time there's tons of videos online of people complaining about their heritage online, which I want to help fix so that people can understand each other more. So I think it was pretty much across the board. Um, yeah. And uh, especially with Indonesian, because one, nobody knows where Indonesia is, and they've never heard it before, so they automatically see my face and think I'm Chinese, um, which ethnically I am. I'm the sixth generation outside of China. But as a kid, being raised in a household that speaks Indonesian, you don't want to be labeled as such. Um, and so we're in this car ride, and uh, it was really boring. It's only two hours, but as a 10-year-old, it's, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then uh, the whole the whole car ride, they were just cracking jokes, all the adults in Indonesian. And I was very frustrated because I didn't understand anything. But I knew it was funny, just didn't understand. And my dad tried to translate. Uh, but every time he translated one, there was two, three more. So we just kind of gave up after a while. But then I resolved, you know what? I want to laugh. I want to be part of the conversation. And I want to enjoy it. Uh, this, you know, this is family. This is, this is what life's about. Laughing, uh, laughing, not laughing. And, uh, so that's how I started basically. Okay. So your parents spoke to you in English? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How do you feel about that? Um, 
they wanted to make sure that I knew that I was American. So this is funny, but um, most immigrant parents will tell their kids they are from X country rather than where they're born or where they grow up. And it actually produces a reverse effect. So the odd thing is with me and my sister, we both speak Indonesian now, while other people that were told they were Indonesian from birth don't. Um, yeah. Okay. This is a great, we could really go off on a, on a tangent, but we're yeah. not going to because we're going to stick to the topic today. But <laughs> let, let's definitely come back to that another time. Um, mm -hmm. So a few rapid fire questions then. Um, you started learning your first foreign language when you were how old? So I got inspired at 10 at that car ride, but I finally started when I was about 13-ish, I think, when I went to Indonesia for the first time in a while. When did you yeah. start playing the guitar? That's a rough question. Um, I started with uh, forced lessons uh, at the age of five, and um, but they were about five minutes you know, every two or three days because I just absolutely refused to. My dad tried everything he could, but I was a rebellious child. Uh, so that's a rough estimate. How many languages yeah. do you speak now? Uh, oh, depends on who you're talking to. Um, I would say a basis of five that I can totally converse, converse in and be fluent in. I do speak a little bit of Dutch and Portuguese, uh, and I'm working on Italian using Benny Lewis's book, which I think is great. Okay, yeah. and so the five languages that, you, that you're comfortable in are English, obviously, Indonesian. Mm -hmm. French, German, and uh, Spanish. Okay, cool. A lot of similarities with my story there, actually, apart from the mixed heritage thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of white British mm -hmm. like, through and through. Um, There's I, nothing I, wrong with that. Uh, well, it's a bit boring, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, <laughs> it is what it is, right? Um, right. And so the, uh, in terms of music, so my main instrument is piano. Mm -hmm. And I started playing piano when I was six. And I had lessons pretty much every week for my whole childhood. Wanted to give up many times, went through periods of hating it, my mum forced me to continue. Very glad she did. Um, I then, well, I was playing, I was learning classical piano, right? But then when I was 16, I discovered jazz. Right. And I kind of went crazy about jazz and then ended up going to music college. I went to a conservatoire in London to study jazz piano. Which one? Uh, the Guildhall School of Music. Oh, okay. Yeah. And drama. Well known. Well known. Yeah. Um, right. So I did a jazz piano degree there for four years and then went off and played um, professionally for quite a few years after that and then it gradually the music gradually died away f for me as I discovered uh, various things we'll get into that later so yeah. now you uh, are you still studying or you do you play professionally or yeah so I'm doing my master's right now um, but <laughs> it's kind of a rough spot because I'm trying to uh, build a blog currently and because I just kind of I mean if my if my friends heard me say this they probably shoot me but I feel that Classical music in and of itself is very limiting. It's a very niche audience, and uh, it doesn't impact the world. And I forgot who said it. Oh, I think, what's his name? Uh, Makoto Fujimura, this Japanese painter uh, based in the New York metro area. He said, you know, art is, is beautiful, but it's not necessary. And that's what makes it beautiful. And so as great as music is, um, I'm kind of leaving that just like you did uh, to kind of inspire people and speak in a language they do speak, which is unfortunately not music. Sure. Yeah. The only, so the, I guess the major difference there in our, in our two stories, because we both started playing music about the same time, mm -hmm. uh, both at our parents' behest. I think the guitar is a little bit different because the guitar physically is extremely challenging for young kids, mm -hmm. whereas mm -hmm. the piano is um, 
is not you know just have to kind of press a key and, it, and you get you get right. a sound with the guitar because I also play the guitar and I taught guitar for a while as well. Um, okay. The, the the precision and the muscle strength you need in your fingers of both hands is yeah. is it's really tough. And I mean, I think I mean typically, I think that you don't tend to start playing the guitar as a child until quite a bit later. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like it's a bit like singing. I mean, most most professional guitarists i know they started when they were kind of maybe 10 not it wasn't not not that young compared to a lot mm-hmm. of others so yeah so the major difference with us then is that my language learning started when i was 19 i i really didn't because i grew up in a in an environment with no foreign languages at all other than the odd kind of family trip to france mm-hmm. where we would all kind of massacre ordering the baguettes every morning um <laughs> you know i had no exposure to languages at all so it kind of it, it all happened all of a sudden for me, and I had to kind of not only discover how to learn languages, but also why to learn languages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess you had a pretty mm-hmm. solid reason, pretty clear reason from an early age, yeah, didn't you? So yeah, yeah, okay. So we're talking about music and languages, and and it's interesting that we it's interesting that you already feel that you're moving away from music and towards languages. I mean, that's certainly what happened to me as well though it took a lot longer for me it was I, I really wasn't sure what I was doing for a long time I'd always been learning languages since I was 19 but it took me quite a long time to come to the realization that actually you know this musician's lifestyle is not really for me but one of the things that I'm always very aware of when I'm learning languages and doing all kinds of things actually is my musical background like I still remember very clearly what life as a student musician was like and the amount of time that we would spend practicing the amount yeah. of time spent performing and rehearsing the performance and all these things i i, I still have that that memory is always there whenever i take on any kind of difficult task such as um learning a language so um maybe like by way of starting off this discussion then uh let me ask you how would your language learning have been different if you hadn't had any music in your life? Okay. Uh, so for starters, I would say I'm a very non-disciplined person. Um, and I'm always looking for the easiest way out of things, I think, in general. Uh, even with Italian uh, right now, I'm just using Benny's book and maybe listening to a few podcasts and things. Uh, but I'm not putting as much effort as one should and uh, the thing is with musicians, as you know, Ali, practicing five hours a day is actually not enough. You know, and people look at us and go, how do you do that? You know, yeah. but we say, no, it's just not enough. And uh, that's when we learn all these techniques like chunking, uh, which we can talk about now or later, um, that help us just effectively and efficiently use our time rather than just doing something from beginning to end, which I think many musicians do. And those tend to be ones that don't go far because they spend so much time playing their repertoire over and over. And same for language learners. Uh, they feel that as long as they've gone over a dialogue from beginning to end 20 times a day, it'll stick in their brain. But the truth is they have to play with it. They have to, you know, kind of shape how uh, they practice, quote-unquote. Yeah, well, let's, let, let's talk about that, because, um, like, f- to my mind, this is one of the major the major connections between between music and languages. And it's often, I think when people ask ask this question, like how has being a musician helped your language learning? I think most of the time what people have in their mind is like accent and right. and, and your ear. But actually, I mean, I'm sure that helps, but but the, mm-hmm. one of the main things that, that I feel 
I've got from music is exactly what you just mentioned, which is the experience of practicing. So you talked about chunking. You talked about five hours a day, which for most people doing anything is a crazy amount of time, right? Right. Unless it's work. Right. So talk, talk talk more about that, about the 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 role of practice or what you learned from practice and chunking, as you put it, and how that relates to language learning. Okay. Uh, so I've noticed a lot of people in, in the language learning community in general, when they hear the word music, they equate it to song. And that's something I think we both agree on is not actually what music is. And so what I try to do personally is to try and make people realize that it's about using musical techniques. Learn from the musicians themselves, not what they produce. Um, why, do you say, so, why do you say music isn't song or song isn't music? It it is, but um, because I know what, I, mean, I know what you're getting at. Yeah? I know what yeah. you're getting at, but I, I'd like you to talk, to expand on that. Right, it's not limited to songs. So when people think of music, they can name songs off the top of their head, but music is a culture. Music is a time and space. Uh, like two hundred years ago, whatever it may be, a person from Germany, let's say Bach, you know, uh, walking around. Uh, it, it's it's more than just let's say Rihanna's new hit or something like that, um, which I don't know what it is, but <laughs> you know, um, because when, when we, when musicians talk about music, we will ask further what, what, what composers you play, which era is your favorite. Do you like Renaissance? Do you like classical? Do you like romantic? Uh, but for most people, music is as of the past three years, anything b- beyond that is old. So you're talking about the role of music in popular culture, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, okay. Going back to what you were saying before. No, no problem. Um, so what I what I advocate is something I call stealing from musicians in, in the sense of just what art really is, is is not looking only at what your profession has, but what everyone else has as well. And so that's my my uh, encouragement to language learners is that they would s- look at the way we practice, which we can equate to study, look at the way we have technique, which we can equate somewhat to accent reduction, uh, music theory, knowledge can be grammar. Ear training can be vocabulary, and those are interchangeable. Um, you want me to go on from there, or yeah, well, a, a lot, of, a lot of stuff there. I mean, so um, you mentioned the the amount of practice that you do in a day, and how you'd use techniques like chunking to mm-hmm. actually make that effective. So, right. how does what's the connection there with language learning? Okay, so um, I. Let's take out the guitar for a second. And uh, let's say you have a passage. So I think number one thing is when people try to learn a language, they go, oh, my God, I have to learn French. Benny talks about this all the time. Don't think I have to learn X language. Think about today I want to order a cup of coffee or tomorrow I want to go to the grocery store. And so when we break things down, it becomes doable rather than a pain in the butt and fear like something we fear. Uh, so, for instance, if I was to take this passage on a guitar, it's a it's an etude by Vila Lobos, um, Brazilian composer. Just that, just that first bar. It sounds really complicated. It's really fast. But when somebody hears that, they go, "Oh my God, that's how I have to play." Oh no, I'm never going to do this. So, if you go around looking at French people and seeing the way they speak and comparing yourself to them. So the recommendation is there's three things you can do that I highly recommend. One is different tempo, two, different rhythm, and three, repeating notes. And we know this as musicians. We don't do things from A to Z or Z over and over. Can you explain the difference between tempo and rhythm? Yeah, so 
tempo we would say is the speed at which you're playing at so for instance if you want to play the original tempo for this is but you could play it as just to slow it down so that people so that you can digest what you're doing as you are playing rather than mindlessly practicing um, so rhythm what I would say is what jazz musicians do amazingly is they swing so for instance if I was to practice this um, I would go to and the, the, the whole goal of this whole thing is brain flexibility uh, that's because when we are able to be flexible, we can fix our mistakes as we're speaking because we're conscious of them. Uh, for different tempo, you can use a metronome as well um, and experiment between going slower but beyond uh, normal speaking speed and faster, and then you're, you adjust in between. I'm sure you've done that as well. So we've got tempo, rhythm, and what was the third one? Uh, repeating notes. Repeating the notes, okay. Uh, uh, yeah. as, a, as a practice technique, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Could you because give us a quick example of that? Yeah, so instead of, again, you'll go. So if I were to do it in English, let's do it in English, in a language everyone understands, is a different tempo would be saying, hello, my name is Ollie Richard. So speak whale. Think of Nemo. Speak whale. Uh, a rhythm, you could say, Hi, my name is Ali Richards. Put a beat on it and then you just go on from there. Or you can go uh, opposite. Instead of going, hi, my name is, you can go, hi, my name is Ali Richards. And so the more we drill these different uh, rhythms, our mouths will be looser and then we can speak flawlessly, more or less. And it's so I think that the tempo thing is kind of evident enough, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you do something slowly, then it's easier to. Um, follow what's going on right. the, the the point about rhythm is, is is an interesting one because um as i understand it and as i used to practice as well uh, music that is the when you put stuff in a different rhythm when you play around with it and uh, tell me if i'm if i'm if i'm following you here or not but mm -hmm. I, as i understand it what well, by playing around with rhythm and actually practicing things in a way that aren't correct, but you're, but you're just experimenting with a different rhythm. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is you're kind of creating a little, a kind of a bit of flexibility for yourself. You're you're teaching yourself to manipulate the passage of music that you're actually practicing, which makes you more uh, confident with it at the end. Exactly. Is that what exactly. is that what you're saying? Yeah, because when, as we know, when we meet our first. Uh, person to have our conversation with in X language, target language, we freak out, we we get unsettled, we get nervous beforehand, and the same thing happens when you go on stage. Uh, we have stage fright. And so when you practice things differently, what you're doing is practicing essentially mistakes that could potentially happen on stage, that your brain will have already rehearsed, and thus you can go back and spring to how you're supposed to play. Right. And yeah. this is, I guess, exactly what Rachmaninoff was getting at when he said that in order to truly know a piece for the piano, you have mm. to be able to play the right hand part with the left hand and the left hand part with the right hand mm. equally well. Or, I mean, I don't know, equally well, but you, know, you have to be able to do it because right. only then are you fully in control of the, or fully aware and um, inside the music that you're trying to play. 
Not that you would ever play the left hand part with the right hand, but it's the, it's the fact of learning to do that that takes you from a point of only kind of having a surf, surface level knowledge of something mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the point where you know it so deeply that you know you could be in the middle of playing of a performance uh, right. on the in, in, on a piano in, in a concert hall in front of two thousand people. You could have like a cat jump up on the piano, run past you, and then like totally distract you. But you know it so intricately that however badly your concentration is shot you are always going to be okay and you're always going to be able to get back and continue because you just have that in that 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 deep intrinsic understanding of what you're playing from exactly from a harmonic perspective from a rhythmic perspective from a structural perspective um like in a song for example learning the lyrics to a song knowing one of the hardest things in learning a song is actually remembering which bit comes next sounds <laughs> sounds obvious right but actually right. when you it's the second that you stop concentrating is when you're in when you're at risk because uh, because you know you could have verses with with different variations and you have to keep track of what comes next right so so again just to continue giving examples one of the things that I often do when I'm learning learning songs or learning speeches or monologues or something like that is I, I often practice it backwards so mm-hmm. if you've got like uh, something with eight lines in it once I think I know the piece or the speech or whatever. Uh, the right way from consecutively from beginning to end i'll start at the end and work backwards so i'll say line eight and then i'll say line seven and i'll say line six because you are coming at it from all these different angles which forces your brain to think to stop thinking linearly and to and to look at it from lots of different angles so that you could you kind of uh, have this um this overall complete holistic understanding of what you're playing and it's not just muscle memory which is another exactly. bit, a big risk for musicians right you kind of mm-hmm. you practice the piece 200 times you think you know it mm-hmm. but actually it's just the muscles that remember where to go if you get distracted or you're you, mo- you have a momentary lapse in concentration you and your muscles lose their place you risk not being able to get back there if you if you're relying on the muscles alone and you don't have the the, the kind of mental understanding of the of what you're doing yeah, yeah so um i've just said a whole bunch of stuff so could do you want to react to uh to what i've just said i think you hit the nail on the head um for more encouragement for people language learners there are people you know professionals uh, like let's say Pablo Casals. i know he had a huge uh the cellist uh he had a huge problem with stage fright huge problem and he is one of the world's most famous cellists in history, but every time he would just freak out and even him and he's performed pieces multiple, multiple times, made tons of recordings. Everyone knows who he is. Um, so stage fright is normal, I think, but it's definitely something we can get over as well with time. But the, the main problem is a muscle memory. Yeah. This is a really nice segue into um, another area that I think, um, training as a musician gives you a huge advantage in language and which is the experience of performance mm-hmm. right and uh, you know i remember so many the experience so many times of going out on stage and having to perform something to people and you learn mm-hmm. to kind of detach yourself a bit don't you mm-hmm. and you kind of put the music in the foreground you let the music do the speaking and you kind of slink off into the background almost and right. just play that thing and let the music be the the object of everybody's attention. And to my mind, it's very similar with language learning. You know, when you 
approach someone, you start speaking to someone, you, um, you, I find that I'm if I, if I practice and I'm good at the language and what I'm about to say, then I feel I find that I can kind of say this, say introduce myself in this other language, mm-hmm. and let the, the language do the talking, as it were, so that I don't feel necessarily too embarrassed or too um, self-conscious being in that position, trying to speak this other language. Because I, I think because of the training of playing music in public. So have you have you noticed anything similar in that respect? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, there's something what I call the various stages of filtration um, in order to help us get over our stage fright because each time so if we were a stage one is basically us in our room if we're learning a language we're just we're alone we're with our textbook that's great and um and if we go to another stage then it could be you with your teacher who you're supposed to make mistakes in front of right and you meet them every week let's say if you're a musician or doing italki or something sponsor of the show um uh, (laughs) but uh uh the next stage would be maybe to talk to a friend of yours that might be a bit uncomfortable, but at least as somebody familiar, then your next stage after that would be going out in public and just going to your local Mexican restaurant if you're learning Spanish. And then stage, the last one would be going to the country, the target country. And each time you need to build a certain amount of confidence. And then as you graduate these levels, when you get to the next one, again, you need to to build enough confidence to move on to the next one and the next one. Uh, for me, there was this one point in my third year of college, my junior year, where somehow I didn't do this on purpose, but I managed to book myself performances for all of May and most, sorry, all of April and most of May. And playing two or three times a week actually took it away. So it was tons and tons of practice in front of people to the point where it's as simple as brushing your teeth, I think is the main thing that we need to realize is we just need to make it natural and forget. And say that it's a part of us rather than something we're learning how to do. You're talking about the practicing or the performance? Uh, both. Yeah. Well, I guess mainly performance because a lot of people complain about stage fright, which is normal. Uh, but I've always been taught that as you do it more, it will go away. But it does. It's always somewhat there lingering. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I think it's always there, isn't it? I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I've given a lot of talks before at conferences and events mm-hmm. and things like that, and I, I never, I, I will always get nervous before I get up and, and give a talk. Always. Oh no, that's for like, sure. No matter how yeah. well prepared I am, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, the only difference is I kind of learned to embrace it. I think, and yeah. um, I learned to kind of feed off the nervousness and use that to create some, some, some buzz. And I think the same is true. With music, I mean, I guess the thing that I'm thinking at this point is that here's the thing: if, if we take classical music as a comparison, with mm-hmm. classical music, you might um, take the Villa Lobos piece, for example, that you just mm-hmm. played before. How many hours would you say in total you spent practicing that piece? Ballpark. Oh man, I have no but idea. But we're talking hundreds, right? Yeah, at least many hundreds, if not thousands of hours practicing right. that piece because right. it's, it's a it's a beast. That one. I think I tried to play that, but I was never good enough to play that on the guitar. <laughs> So here's the difference. Like in this case, you're spending all this time practicing this one piece. It's mm. the same notes over and over again. The notes don't change, never. Right. But with right. language learning, it's not the same animal, right? Because the words do change. The grammar mm-hmm. does change. The stuff that you say does change. So in the sense that when we come to speak a language with people, 
you never know what's going to happen. How mm-hmm. can you, how do you reconcile the difference between learning one piece of music and then learning to prepare for the unknown, which is what speaking a language always is? How indeed. On that note, on that particular cliffhanger, I will leave you to hear the rest of our conversation. Check back in the next episode where we will carry on and talk more about this topic. If you can't wait and you're impatient, you can find the complete video on my YouTube channel. Um, We recorded the video for this as well. Head over to YouTube, type in Ollie Richards, and you will find the recording. Also... If you'd like to read more in-depth thoughts about music and language learning, I've recently written a big blog post about this where I cover a lot of the um, my main ideas about music and language learning. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. So if you'd like to read that or you'd like to comment on anything you've heard today or leave a message for Fiel, you can go to IWillTeachYourLanguage.com forward slash episode 180, 180. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you back in the next episode of the podcast.